Evan, we got a one-up last year for the Spooktacular. We got our hands on the Necronomicon. You turned into a ghost. It was so rad, but I think I have just the relic. That's great, because it's been nights, and we've just been up thinking about how to top it, but we can't think of a thing. Well, look no further. Yeah? Yeah, I have, uh, you know magic lamps? Yeah, like uh, the one in Aladdin. Kind of. It's a, it's a coffin, though. Like a like, darker version of Aladdin? Like rub-a-dub-dub, get some wishes, yo. Are you talking about like a like a genie that's a vampire or a vampire that's a genie? I don't. I mean, let's give it a rub a dub dub. Squeak squeak squeak. Blah! I am the genie vampire or vampire genie, depending on you know your personal preferences. I will give you three wishes, not one, not two, but three. Evan's a ghost again. I want Evan to be a ghost again. No. Two wishes now. Well, I've been doing a lot of research on vampires for this episode, and I think I, I need to know all of it. I want all of the knowledge, Mr. Vamp Genie. Give it to me. You are now a vampire. <laughs> no. No. I wish the episode would start. Wish granted. Hello, and welcome to the Dork Web Podcast. <laughs> uh, oof, that's a, that's a tough one. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, the Dork Web Podcast. I'm getting used to these teeth, and my name is Jonathan Locchiato, your host. I'm also joined by my persistent ghostly co-host, Mr. Evan Rakowski. That's the phantom co-host. The phantom co-host, even. Yes. So, Evan, it's, it's official. This is now an annual thing. Yeah, it's great, and and we're both so used to our monster forms that we can speak normally. I I'm very recently used to my new monster form. Yeah, so um, I mean, I might sound the same, but I'll still rattle my chains in anger if yes. uh, something really upsets me. Yes, uh, rattle those chains for a seven. Ooh, frightening, truly frightening. Well, we we have a great show planned. Uh, it's been in the making since October first even uh <laughs> it, it's it's true it's true we're sorry and uh the theme is vampires we're actually it's, recording this on the witching hour of hallow's eve that's true because that's how you do it yeah real halloween begins the night before halloween because that's really you know the eve of hallows yes when you take all of the ideas on scrap paper and glue them all together and point and say, this is the episode. Laughing and gibbering like madmen. Yes, but maybe that's next year's theme. Who maybe. knows? This year, we're sticking to garlic and crosses and maybe even steaks. We're talking vampires and not John Carpenter's vampires. Straight up goons and bloodsuckers. That's right. Although, John Carpenter's Vampires is a, it's a quality film. Definitely one of my favorite vampire movies up there with uh, Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy and one of its own. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see... Uh, James Woods just like screaming like a madman while stabbing a harpooned uh, vampire, then that's the movie for you. Look no further. But we won't get too deep into uh, John Carpenter's vampires because we have so many of our own vampires to talk about. Uh, the first thing that we thought we would treat you guys to is we're just going to go over some of probably the, the most prolific and... Um, 
most recognized, I guess you could say. Yeah, vampire the Hall of Fame of Vampire uh, video, games. video games. Yeah, yeah. that's what we do here at the Dark Web. We talk about video games. Yes. And if you're me, complain about video games. Especially. Oh, yes. Uh, but we're going to start off with Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. How many semicolons are in that title? I would guess two. You might be right. You might be wrong. Yeah, so uh, this game came out in 2004. And boy, oh boy, it's age shows. Yes, it aged like fine milk. Yes. Uh, I bought this game years ago. And playing through it is very difficult. Um, so much to the point where you need to keep so many redundancy saves just in case a door doesn't open. Or, like, you open the door and start to walk through it, but then it starts to close and you get stuck in door limbo. Yeah. And that's, that's a terrible... You can't make this stuff up. It's, like, collision detection. It's... Um, menus that have the lowest resolution texture so you can't even see what powers you've selected or like what the actual information being presented to you in game is oh yeah playing it now is a nightmare watch any youtube playthrough they will all mess up in the same exact spots every time oh yeah because we had to check like man are we are we doing playing this game here? Like, no we're playing this game right it's just tough but um it's based on a tabletop game and a the bigger... The world of darkness. Yes, and a bigger universe around that. Um, and I guess the thing that makes this game unique and the reason why we attempted uh, <laughs> to just leisurely walk through it uh, and the reason people still play about it and talk about it and the reason a sequel is being made and delayed yes. uh, is because the world is very unique. Um, there are... Lots of goth dance clubs. There are lots of goth dance clubs, and that's the main reason that you play this unique world. Uh, but there are many different types of vampires, almost like different strains or bloodlines, uh, or clans, I think they yeah. call them. That's one of my favorite things about, I guess, contemporary vampire lore, is all the different, you know, like, biomorphs that the vampires have. You know, different strains, different clans, but go on, talk about them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell you all of them by <laughs> name, but you have your basic, basically, like... Um, class archetypes so you... I, I actually do remember the names oh please so it is the first type is the uh, the bruja vampire broha yeah br the broha bruja and they're like well, a... I, I, they're like bros well yeah they look they, like yeah they're like the jock vampires they're yeah. like super like jacked. boys yeah and they're like super passionate about stuff that they were when life so they're usually most of them are like anarchists and you know like militant believers of whatever they believed in in life um, then you have like the Torador, which is kind of like the sexy Twilight vampire that's all about seduction and, you know, just pleasure, the pleasures of vampirism. Glitter bath. Yes. The, the neon glitter baths. Um, let's see. Then there's the Malkavians, which are very unique amongst their kind because they can like hear your thoughts and kind of like see your past and future simultaneously. So they have like a fourth dimensional madness that drives a lot of them insane. But the ones that can kind of like keep with it are almost like omnipotent. And Very they strong. have a unique access to a branch of magic called like a uh, batshit insane. Yeah. It's like demented something or like it basically, yeah, it's magic to drive you insane. Yeah. So they're pretty cool. Uh, they're like a, a, I guess you could say a fan favorite of the races. Uh, then there's the Nosferatu. Uh, and these poor bastards, they have a very, 
they have a strain of vampirism that makes it impossible for them to um, obey the laws of the masquerade, which is basically to convince humanity uh, vampires don't exist. And, and we'll get back to that. Yeah. And because, um, you know, vampirism affects them so dramatically on the outside, most of the time they kind of like live in the sewers or as like heavily obscured homeless people because they look like Nosferatu, like just weird, uh, pale, bat-like, fanged, just Smeagol people. Literally the vampire from Nosferatu. Yeah. Lanky, tall, and essentially, gross. Yeah. And essentially their like charm stat can't raise above zero because they're a fucking Nosferatu. Yeah. Um, but they get twice as much blood from rats, and they're very stealthy. There's something. Let's see. There is... I think there's one more. There's the Ventru. Yep. And Oh, wait, no, there's two more. Yeah, the Ventru are, like, the vampire nobles that kind of, like, lead vampire society known as, like, the Camarilla or something. Um, They're even more pretty and perfect than the Torridors. And uh, usually, they like can't feed on low board and blood. Oh yeah, they can't, can't eat rats. They get no blood f- power from rats, and if they feed on like a homeless person or prostitute, you'll start barfing. Gross. Yeah, they're they're like the most snobbiest vampires, and we forgot the last kind. I forget what they're called, but they're magic vampires. Oh yeah, they used ma- to be like sorcerers. Yeah, and, they used to yeah. be like dark like warlocks and sorcerers, and they found out how to you know gain immortality by magically transforming themselves into vampires. And when they did that, they kind of lost their human magic, but they developed uh, thaumaturgy uh, and blood magic. And none of the other vampires uh, trust them because, you know... Blood magic. They're, they're super into blood magic and all about, you know, gaining power. Sure. Yeah. So... Those are at least the playable classes or uh, types of vampires in that game. There's more. Yes. But we'll only talk about them. Yes. And in this game, Evan brought up the Masquerade, which is more than just the title. It is the name of the game, baby. Yes, uh, the whole game. You're, you know, trying to complete quests and side quests and missions, and some involve killing and some involve sneaking. Over the whole time, your kind of like main importance and goal is to not let humanity like learn that vampires are a thing. So the need to feed and needing to use vampire powers to get to certain places or stop certain people. You have to just be cautious of where you're doing this, who's going to see, can they escape, can you get to them in time? <laughs> uh, you know, because if they hit the streets, then uh, your, what is it even, your... Humanity. Well, your humanity is if you kill innocents. Yeah, you, you, there's like a meter for the masquerade. Yeah. And, and after five vi- violations, yes. the game's over. Yes, if you violate it too much, the game ends. The vampire hunters will come after you. And yeah, you're screwed. So it's both a game of heavy role play. Because Not you- only do you have to play like the vampire, but you have to think like the vampire as well. Yes, and based on the type of vampire that you are, you have to go about it you know, very, very differently than another. So if you're a Nosferatu... You're like living off of rats in the sewer. And, and you're not talking to anyone who's you're not, not vital to the story. Yeah, because yeah. if a, someone normal sees you, they will freak out. Yes. And if you're um, a bruja, you're running around on the streets and pretty much able to mingle with people. Um, but And you, you're pretty much a, a fighter, like a straight-up fighter. But you're not going to be able to use very many 
different types of vampire magic or vampire nuance yes or like sneak as well or anything like that a very point a to point b uh type of vampire yeah but all that aside uh the story kind of revolves around uh the camarilla that evan mentioned Mm -hmm. And that is kind of like the Freemason Society of Vampires. The Vampire Illuminati, let's be honest. Yeah. You say the words Vampire Illuminati. The Vampire Illuminati. And they're pulling the strings and arranging certain things. And a lot of the plot kind of revolves around this sarcophagus that holds this untold power as, you know, the plot starts to develop. But it's, it's full of, like gritty crime and prostitution and drugs sexy and vampires sexy vampires and, and goth clubs like gangers and you know all, all the sort of like inner city crime that you would expect in gta or anything like that but you know vampires are in the ivory tower looking down on everyone like oh our plans must not be ruined yeah think of like a vampire role-playing game but with the same aesthetic as uh, the matrix yeah and just kind of like leather, you know, like alternative culture, like leather goths. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like basically the goth scene. Yeah. But it's heavy in this game. It is heavy in this game. But the story, the story is pretty good. If not only for the fact that, you know, this being. You have to a, fight for that story. So it's. You made do all have to sweeter. fight for the story. It's bittersweet. But, um, you know, if not for the worlds that this takes place in and you know like we said all the different types of vampires and dank lore the dank lore and the political situation john dimaggio different types of vampires john dimaggio's in it he's like one of the first vampires you meet name's jack yeah kind of like lets you out of a bad situation he's a gangrel that's the other type of vampire forgot about they're the gangrels i mean they're less smeagly than the nosferatu but um they're kind of gangly and kind of hunched and they have access to like, like the kind of vampire beast magic. You know how they can like control animals and like maybe someone like spirit wolves turn into a wolf. Yeah. 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 They're that kind of vampire. Nice. And that's what John DiMaggio is. He's a gangrel. They're very, they're the more anarchist type. Sure. Uh, you know, as denoted by his like motorcycle getup <laughs> yeah. and like greasy stained beard. He's kind of dressed like vampire Lemmy from a uh, motorhead. Yeah. So if we were to give, you know, a certain number of fangs out of five for this game, how many fangs would this game get um, for its representation of the vampire cause as a newly born vampire? So as a game that portrays um, vampirism in a narrative sense, I'll give it a four out of five. Uh, missing one fang because of its horrible and dated clunky uh you know meat and potatoes of the game yeah i would go i would go to three because that's a fair three yeah because it is very difficult to play this game and for extended periods of time for extended periods of time and unless you kind of know what kind of a game it is when you're getting into it um you really need to like set aside the time and either have a walkthrough to go with you through the game or have a lot of time on your hands for trial and error. Like there are puzzles where like tiny little switches that are barely visible are like the ways through to turn off a mechanism or something like that. And there are some puzzles that 
are just flat out broken when you load into them and you gotta like reload a couple of times before like the physics drops things in the right place and you can actually beat the puzzle but uh but yeah i mean it is obviously a huge game to the community um of that tabletop franchise as well as to like rpg fans because the sequel i have my eye on and i know lots of people have their eye on and it's shaping up to look like it's going to be a pretty good game yeah when i look at it i kind of hope it's going to be something like dishonored but about vampires because dishonor had, had like for all its flaws it had a good gameplay element to it like the platforming in, in combat was pretty solid along with the magic and i guess that's kind of what we're looking for in the vampire the masquerade game it's i didn't i played some dishonored i bought it when it first came out the first one never touched second the one second was a one. bit better never touched the second one but the thing that turned me off about dishonored was even on the very hard difficulties i found it quite easy and especially after there's like two or three skills that you can get or like level ups, mm. whatever they're called, that essentially your like sneaky assassin moves pretty much insta kill. And then another one that when you kill somebody, yes, when you kill somebody with a stealth attack, the bodies disintegrate. From what I have seen from the videos, you know, it looks like a pretty open world where you're kind of free to, you know, vamp out. Uh, maybe even do some, you know, vampire parkour and, like, you know, teleporting and mists and bats and shit. Yeah, I mean, I think as long as they the development is tight and they make sure there aren't game-breaking bugs <laughs> and it's built to the standard that a lot of RPGs are built to today, like, you know, I have my hands on the Outer Worlds right now and that's amazing. We'll probably talk about it in another episode soon, but, like... Games that can get that flawless integration between going out, getting experience for doing a variety of different things, not just killing, and then being able to see those skills change and see how you can affect the world around you, you know, as those skills go up. If you can do that seamlessly in an open world, then, you know, you've already won whatever, whatever you're peddling, vampires, you know, space, you've, you've pretty space much vampires. got it. Space vampires. Good episode, everybody. Yes. But I think that's going to take us to our, our second point. Or not really second point. That's going to take us to our next thing that we're talking about. Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Bittersweet. The f it is very sweet, but also very bitter. Yeah, so Castlevania Lords of Shadow... Was recommended to us a long time ago. Yes, and it's technically a trilogy of games. The Lords of Shadows trilogy, or Shadow trilogy. Yeah. Uh, two games on the PS3 and one game on the DS. On the 3DS. The, the 3DS game is notoriously shit. Yeah, the 3DS game is is not well received from the real life people that I've talked to. <laughs> um, and the two PS3 games are like mirrors to each other. A mirror of fate, one would say. Yes, the first game is very good. The second game. It's very, very bad. bad. And it's such a goddamn shame. It is. Evan, why don't you why don't you break down the first game? So even just the beginning of the first game was an amazing spectacle. Because here you have our hero, Simon Belmont, fantastic red, you know, cape, looking like a vampire hunter, entering a dark, rainy, you know, stormy night, 
and all of a sudden silhouetted against the moon is like a giant warg and it's like werewolves like bearing down at you and like you're protecting this village and from that moment on just this the spectacle presentation uh level design music combat everything about this game was so well done and the lore was great and the voice acting was pretty good because you know you had patrick was it patrick stewart was uh zobeck your uh preacher buddy who also happens to turn out to be uh the lord of death uh mr skeleton uh he's a lord of shadow yeah but um man what a what a great game you should talk about it some yeah, so the first Castlevania was definitely uh, first Castlevania Lords of Shadows. It was definitely riding the coattail of God of War and Dante's Inferno yeah. and all of those games. But because of the way that they took Castlevania lore and something that has you know so much detailed history and a lot of like really interesting, neat stuff going on in that universe, they basically tried to take a whole bunch of Castlevania games and their stories and just like smush them together and make roughly three games out of it. The first is amazing. Follows Gabriel Bel... No, not... No, no, it is Gabriel. It is Belmont? Gabriel Belmont. Yeah. So it is... uh, It is, yeah. Yeah. Gabriel Belmont, and he is hunting Lords of Shadow, and he's going to... To avenge his wife. Yes, he's got a woman and all of the heroes motivations and problems and all that sort of stuff with you know like going to like fight in the name of this you know whatever woman or god or god same thing and uh he basically kills a vampire lord no a werewolf lord a werewolf lord uh uh, what was his name it was like karn it wasn't karn cornell cornell yep so no it was the werewolf the the vampire and then Bum, 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 like super reveal. Zobek is the Lord of Death. Was it just three? It was just the three Lords of Shadow. Okay. Yeah, and then you fight Zobek, Sir Patrick Stewart. And uh, it's, it's, you don't think that the, the stakes can get pretty higher until none other than like naked, beautiful Satan himself yeah, like, comes out to fight you as the final boss. Yeah, like the kind of Satan you'd see represented in like a Paradise Lost picture where it's just like a beautiful, like vain, sad-looking angel with uh, who's completely naked except for the cloud of darkness around his crotch. Yes, very deadly. Very, very artistic. And I, I like that liberty they took with uh, dear old Satan there. And of course, the hero prevails and he... Uh, through a bunch of kind of shitty DLC, ends up becoming Dracula. Yeah, uh, who saw that one coming? Right? And from here, this is where things get sticky. This is where the game ends. Yeah, basically. For us. Yeah. But this is where the real vampire stuff starts happening. It's true. So from here, he is Dracula, and he has his son, Alucard, and he's not Alucard yet. Simon or Trevor? I don't know. It's one of the Belmonts. I think it's Trevor. Yeah. Belmont. And then they're like, yo, like you were his secret son. And you need to go stop him because now he's Dracula and going like some kind of rampage with his army of the, the damned. And he's like, secret son? Yeah. And then that 
you know, makes him hesitate. And then, you know, he dies anyways. And Dracula's like, no, like I, you know, my son's dead. It's my fault. So I'm going to kill everyone. So he tries to turn him into a vampire. Right. And that, that appear doesn't, that, that appears not to work at first. And then many years pass and he becomes Alucard. Around the same time. Another descendant. Another descendant. His son, Alucard's son, before he was Alucard. Was it Alucard's son? Yes. Yeah, he was like the barbarian Belmont who was like raised in the mountains. Yes. He, Simon? Could be Simon. Whatever. Garfunkel, actually. Yeah. Garfunkel Belmont. So he is, you know, quest to kill Dracula, meets up with Alucard. They stop him together. Dracula goes to sleep with the chest wound. Uh, then Lords of Shadow 2 begins. This is when things get really bad. In the gritty, dark future of Europe. of Europe. That's also the present. Yes. Uh, you know, the future present has built a city around the Castlevania castle. Which sounds cool. And there are cults, like, harvesting the blood. Yeah. Uh, the haunted blood of the castle. Yes, I'm remembering it all clearly now. To make um, eco-weapons. Yeah, so the enemy in this game, uh, or the the evil controlling the humans, was it's a Satan cult. Yes. Trying to bring out about Armageddon. Yes. And Dracula's trying to stop Armageddon. Yes. In future, present, Super Germany, and their... Super Prague. Yes. Super Transylvania. Yes, Super Prague's premier cult of Satanists are harvested the haunted blood from Dracula's castle to make bioweapons and eco-weapons... And uh, Dracula wakes up, and he has to stop them. And boy, Zobek's oh boy. There. Zobek is there. That's like the one redeeming thing that's in this entire game. But for the rest of the game... Complete shit. You're going through like weird like memory set pieces of stealth the castle. Segments. Oh, the forced stealth was the worst. There was an entire multiple sections where you're forced to sneak around these guys with miniguns. Yeah, Dracula not so good against, like, uh, super mutants with miniguns. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. You're Dracula. You defeated Satan. Throughout even the second game, you are killing demons and, like, putting them into pyramids and sending them to Zobek. And yet, a do- like, just a grunt with a minigun, you have to sneak around. Or he'll miss you. Or he'll, yeah, just destroy you. So... There's so much about this game that just... Uh. It's like they forgot all of the nuance and what made the first game good and just made a bland and tasteless... God of War. God of War type, type of game. And it's just so disappointing because the first one was so good and it's the only one we can recommend. Yeah, and even like re-going through some of the second one, they spared no expense. They have like a full soundtrack... Yeah. They have some pretty known voice actors taking part in it. And, like, the graphics at the time were, like, really high budget. So they were pulling out all the stops and just backing the wrong wagon on that one. So many questionable decisions. But there are a couple of cool things I do want to say. Reasons that this game, this series, made it on the list. First, as far as Hunters of Vampires go... Blade's pretty high up there, but if we're looking at, you know, the entire Castlevania franchise, Gabriel Belmont is maybe the master vampire hunter. True. Second, 
is even in the shitty second game, or I guess the third game, technically, Lords of Shadow 2. I mean, it's the second game for us. We never played Mirror Fate. <laughs> yeah, pff, no, ain't getting in that. But I know about it. Um, the weapons are pretty cool. Oh, and yes. I Yes, I appreciate the Void Sword, which drains health as you use it, and it's pretty pretty cool it's looking basically, sword. It's Frostmourne from Warcraft. Kind of. There's a little bit more to it, though. And then there's the Blood Whip, which is just a whip... Made of blood. blood, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I liked that idea. And, you know, there's a couple of cool set pieces. Oh, don't like, forget the fists from um, Devil May Cry. Oh, uh, fire yeah, those fists. are stupid. You get, like, fire fists. It's like a heavy weapon. But there are a couple of cool set pieces, uh, namely the very beginning when you're fighting, like, a, a not really. He's a regular size, slightly bigger than average paladin. He's a wielding, space marine. Wielding two swords. A gl- uh, two don't, swords that turn into that. a glaive, like yeah. Darth Maul. Yeah, I don't get the two swords. Paladins should probably have like a maul or something, or a sword and shield, but at any rate. Very Baroque, like holy, almost power armor, really, with like a jetpack. Yeah, but but he shows up on uh, like an Imperial-class knight <laughs> that's just like stomping up to Dracula's castle. Big old like Crusader War Golem. Yeah, and like that's pretty cool. Then you fight him. And like you prove that you can pray harder, <laughs> and basically just, grab like, his melt crucifix him. and nuke him. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Proceed like a really cool scene that's preceded by a really dumb scene. This is like the exact kind of stuff that's wrong with this game. So there's this really cool scene. You're fighting this paladin, and he pulls out his cross after you know you whittle his health bar down. And it goes you into knock a off cut his scene. helmet, and you knock off his cutscene. He's all scarred and screwed up. Yeah. And he pulls up his cross and he starts praying. And then Gabriel's like, ah, like, I used to be just like you. I used to pray. But, like, here's the thing. God put me on this path. So, like, basically holy magic and prayers and stuff don't hurt me because I'm kind of his chosen. But he doesn't say this. He shows it by grabbing the man's cross and just praying harder. And, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, just, like, praying with him but, like, louder. Yes. And it's pretty cool because, like, the cross starts to melt and, like, there's this bright, like, blast of white light. Like, if the scene ended right there, it would have been good. But because this is Lords of Shadow 2 and they have to shit on everything cool. Because it, ne- it got too animated. Yes. It next cuts to a scene of the Earth from space, and you see this, like, light explosion <laughs> nuke this going This fucking up. Tunguska event happening yeah, wherever Dracula's castle is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, glad, you know, during the Holy Crusades, they had the technology to monitor this event. Yeah, cause the Black Death. Certainly. So speaking of the Black Death, uh, how many bubonic infected rats would you give the Lords of Shadow series as a whole? I mean, I would have to give it a couple rats for the first game. But a series as a whole, it's got to be three out of five. And that's two bubonic infested rats taken away because of two bad games. But that one game alone is worth three fucking horrible rats. Yeah. It's a real shame. A real shame. Moment, moment of silence. Also for the uh, Legacy of Kane series, which we have to talk, we, we, we wanted to bring up, but honestly, after what happened in Osgoth, you know. Yeah, Legacy of Kane, very strong vampire games. Maybe one day we'll talk about them in more depth, but I don't know how many people who didn't play those games when they were out, know about know them. Know about them. Yeah. Because that's kind of the way that it is. Uh, just like 
Blade the movie, the video game yes. for PS1. Uh, let me just put a stake in my heart right now so I don't have to talk about that one. Oh, yeah. Just a looping sound. Like three sound effects just looping over and over again. Yep, the sounds of the guns, the sounds of the guards, and the uh, soundtrack in the background. Yeah. Which never ends. Never. But that's okay, because the next game that we're going to talk about is pretty new. It came out last year, and I really wanted to play it last year, but I held off because I was like, hey, this is going to be 30 bucks when you actually need to play it, and next year's Spooktacular is going to be Vampires, and that game is Vampire, or Vampire, with a Y. V-A-M-P-Y-R. M-O-U-S-E. Yes. The vampire mouse. (laughs) So, Evan, how much of vampire or vampire did you get to see? I've seen maybe like the opening third of the game, perhaps, through you and through playthroughs. I've watched in my own spare time. So, I played this game, and I beat it, and... Left London in complete ruin. Yep. I probably pumped like 35, 40 hours into it. So I I did every single side quest. Um, I crafted pretty much like all of the items that I liked into exotic level or, you know, master crafted level. Orange items we're talking here, people. Mm. Um, And pretty much, you know, by doing all of the side quests... I was able to do most of, like, I guess what you would call the secret boss encounters or the mini bosses or whatever be it. Uh, I like this game. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I don't think I would be replaying it anytime soon, but I really liked the take on vampirism. I think this game, it, it created almost like its own genre because... It is somewhere in between something like L.A. Noir and Bloodborne. So the combat's definitely a little floaty, and that's something if they ever made a sequel, which I hope they do because they left a lot of questions unanswered and what seems like a lot of couple cliffhanger-ending ideas or notions. But the combat is kind of unforgiving. Um, you got to dodge. Hits take out a huge chunk of health. There's like a parrying, or not really a parrying, but a stunning mechanism where you can equip like a stake or a knife or firearms to kind of stun lock people or make them stutter. But the the combat isn't the best part. It's it's pretty good. It's definitely passable. It can get some uh, tough sometimes. But the best part is. The acting, the voice acting, and the writing in the game is all very good. Almost everybody that you can talk to has a multiple thread. We can say robust. You can say robust, yeah. Yeah. So... Well, robust, uh, like, dialogue and kind of, like, decision tree. Yeah, so, so, like, everybody that you can talk to... There's stuff that you can talk to them about immediately and things that involve the current quest that you're on. But also as things change in London, um, you know, based on the decisions that you make, you can go back to these people and the things that they'll have to say will change and the things that they know will change. All the while, 
Um, these people are getting sick with various, uh, you know, cold or bronchitis. Spanish flu. Yeah, some things more serious than the other. So in addition to going around and kind of putting pieces together with investigations, you're also kind of the main person who's taking care of all the people in London. So it's like, oh, no, little Timmy on the second floor in the waterfront district has fatigue. Cholera. If I, Yeah, <laughs> cholera fatigue. If I don't treat that right away, it'll you know evolve into something worse. Someone call Dr. Vampire. Yes, Dr. Acula. <laughs> yes, Dr. Acula. And Evan, you may ask, well, why does it matter if somebody's sick or if they're not sick? Yeah, why does it matter if someone is sick or not sick? Well, Evan, I'll tell you why it matters. And that's because the main route of experience is by drinking people's blood and killing them. So you can, at pretty much any point after you meet a NPC, as long as your vampire hypnosis skill is high enough, lure them away and drink their blood. If you have learned everything that you could possibly learn about that person, you will get a crapload more experience. If you have only just met them and pretty much just insulted them and then went on your way, you'll get like 200 experience and won't be able to do anything with that. Uh, the experience that you get from fighting, unless it's a boss, is pretty minimal. Uh, you could, you know, kill two or three infected skulls, and from that, maybe get like eight XP or like ten <laughs> if you're lucky. And by the end, you know, upgrades and level ups in your skill tree are two thousand twenty five hundred. So there becomes a point where you definitely have to start um, picking from the crop, so to speak. Mm. So it, it is highly beneficial to kind of be inquisitive in the game and go into abandoned warehouses and find like old buried newspaper articles about a certain person or go in, like break into somebody's house and go into their study and find a book about something that, you know, is a secret about them or something like that. Uh, because when the inevitable harvest comes, it'll be all the sweeter. It's all the sweeter. And in London, the Spanish flu epidemic is, it's there. So uh, right at the beginning of the game, you come back from uh, having been a medical doctor during World War I, and you are immediately uh, bitten, turned into a vampire. Thrown in a corpse pit. Thrown in a corpse pit, thought for dead, come back. Eat your sister. Bite and eat your sister. Uh, and then a nice mustached man is like, oh. Come work in my hospital. You look like you could probably help out. And that man's Dr. Cox. And that man is Dr. Cox from Scrubs. How to save a vampire. So from there, the hospital kind of becomes your base of operation. And that's where you start to meet people and start to get information about how the Spanish flu is spreading and how you can combat it. And all the while, you're meeting new people and... You're getting better at practicing medicine, and you can start making new things. So the progression is very real. And the story that unfolds mostly just through talking to people in single conversation is very, very elegant. If there is a weakest part of the game, I'd probably say that it's somewhere between not being able to fast travel and the map actually being pretty big. So when you want to start doing side quests, you got to really like hoof it to get to an out-of-the-way place. But also the combat, because it's 
passable, but it but it's a little bit floaty, and sometimes it can be tough, especially if you're underleveled and you're trying to take out bosses, which will happen a lot if you're trying to play a playthrough where you don't become a monster of London. Mm. So the so what you're saying is the narrative is what you want to go for this game. Oh, 100%. It plays pretty well, too, and you definitely get your fix of, like, teleporting around and throwing blood spears and then, like, pouncing on some guy who starts screaming, help, help, as you start drinking him. Leech. Yeah, so th- th- that stuff's good. The combat could be better, but we're not all from software. Yeah, hey, well, like from software, this game also did have a great soundtrack and aesthetic. It did. The aesthetic was very nice. You very, can even like, see menacing, dark, like cellos and basses. Yeah, you can even see a couple pictures on our Instagram. <laughs> Uh, Not the T-Posed man. Yes, the T-Posed vampire hunter. Of London. So, Evan, I would say that I would probably give this four and a half fangs, like a baby fang, out of five. I don't think anything on our list tonight is going to be perfect, but this is, I think, pretty damn close. That being said, we're going to cover our last, but maybe most robust topic yes so uh we're gonna quickly kind of just chronicle the history and appearances of vampires in the elder scrolls games surprisingly it is in the elder scrolls that i feel vampires have the biggest presence in any game besides for like a game about vampires because even though vampires aren't the focus of elder scrolls there's a lot of them, and they're all, and they're very present in each game. So, starting out first with Elder Scrolls Arena, the first Elder Scrolls, vampires were there. Yes, you could fight them. Yes, they that were enemies. Uh, you really couldn't catch vampirism, but they had their own models, and they turned into a pile of bones on top of robes after you killed them. And I'm sure they screamed. I don't, I don't know that for <laughs> fact, but it would just make sense that they screamed. Maybe like a horrible like. 8-bit MIDI file scream. Yeah. Yeah. So there wasn't too much in Elder Scrolls Arena, but it paved the course for what comes next. And that's Elder Scrolls Daggerfall. And what is in Elder Scrolls Daggerfall, Evan? Um, Oh, that is nine different strains of vampirism. Yeah. So there wasn't too much in the way of quests and special npcs and special items or skills or abilities you got a couple of buffs you got a bunch of weaknesses but there were different strains of vampirism and based on the strain that you had you had different uh weaknesses and different buffs um i'm not going to go through all the strains and i'm sure that you're also not going to go play daggerfall unless that's something you like to do frequently but they each kind of had their own shtick um cool 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 step forward because whereas a lot of games and a lot of vampire media really just kind of considers the one type of vampire as we said earlier in the episode it's always nice to see that that variety right yeah the the different kind of sub vampire vampiric diversity vampiric diversity is what evan's calling it i think it's a good thing to call it yeah so from Daggerfall and the vampiric diversity, we go from nine to three. 
So this does cut down on the number of vampire um, bloodlines or subspecies that there are. But now we start to get dedicated quests. We start to get a couple of skills. We start to get um, like special places and special NPCs who are all kind of connected with the, the vampire mythology. Also, in the expansion Blood Moon, that was the first time they brought in werewolves. Yes. And other were things, like werebore. Was there a werebore? I'm pretty sure there was. There's there's a possibility. Yeah. Um, I know in Daggerfall you could be a couple of were things, but as far as like fully transforming and having it take a, a decently big effect on the game, uh, this was the first time you could do it in Morrowind. Yeah. Morrowind was uh, definitely a pioneer back when it came out, in just in general. Yeah, I've always felt that even though I can't bear to play Morrowind because of just how literally old and clunky <laughs> it is, it had the most. is And it was like a good compromise between here's a lot of options and here's detail to those options. Because as we start to go into our next title, Oblivion, we start to see that some things, the, the load lessens, but the things that are in the load are more detailed. So you're talking about quality over quantity. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Elder Scrolls is talking about that. So in Oblivion, there is just one type of vampire. Um, the I actually know the name of the strain. Please. Uh, and that's the frequently remind you on the loading screen. It's uh, Porphyric Hemophilia. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you could get it from rats. You could also get it from rats in... Daggerfall, and Morrowind, I believe. Huh. Rats giving you vampirism. That's interesting. Oh, you didn't know that? I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It's like a 1.5% chance. But in Oblivion, if you just stay in the beginning area, just let the rats keep attacking you, eventually you'll get it. Jesus. Just turn the difficulty all the way down. What the hell was rats eating in the Imperial City? Oh, yeah. That's, that's been a weird thing in Elder Scrolls games for a long time, that rats actually transmit the disease. No wonder they're always wary of rats. Yeah, I think Skyrim changed it so that there were was, no rats in Skyrim. Yeah, so it was a little bit more specific to the bite. But up until this point, rats were like one of the main carriers outside <laughs> of vampires. Yeah, my God, um, that's horrible. But in Oblivion, there is the first time that you see tiers of uh, vampirism. Yeah, the progression. So, yes. So the longer you go without feeding, the more vampire-like you become and your facial features distort. You start to look like you're half snake and your fangs protrude <laughs> and it looks really weird if you're an Argonian or a Khajiit. Oh, yeah. Of um, Because, like, don't Argonians change color? Yeah. I would only, like, exclusively play as Argonians in my whole Elder Scrolls... Uh, playing Elder Scrolls in general, in the Elder Scrolls career, yeah. But um, my character went, like, a weird pinkish-white and, like, his lips receded, so his you know, Argonian teeth were showing most of the time, and he was just, like, weird, pale, and scary-looking. That's gross. Yeah, I usually had a helmet on. But uh, in this game, we actually get that really cool vampire... Uh, mentor. E mentor from the Dark Brotherhood. Lucian Lechan. Oh, wait, Lucian. No, Lechan. not Lucian. His <sighs> name starts with a V. It's like Val Vincent Vincent something. Valtieri. Yes, the and Italian vampire. Yeah, and I am a vampire. Yes, and he's super cool, and he starts to share some kind of cool lore and has some cool conversations with you. Um, and then there's also... Too bad you have to kill him. Yes. Then there's also the quests that are tied to 
which city was it where the count was a vampire? Uh, that would be Skingrad. Yes. So they started baking the vampirism and the idea of it much more into even like the main story. Because I don't know if that was part of the Well, it was part of the main story because you had to go to all the counts and all the... Yeah, yeah get their to trust. Get their trust, which now leads us to Skyrim. And in Skyrim, perhaps the most in-on-vampire integration into the story and the side quests, there's a whole DLC that... Is now part of the game. Is now part of the game. Of all the many times it's been re-released. Because of all the times it's been released that gives vampires their own skill tree and the ability to elevate into a vampire lord, which means you hover and you can cast crazy magic you and turn blood magic. You into a horrible, like... When you had Nosferatu. Yep, you could transform into like a two-legged bat creature. So... Yeah, and this vampirism was more... this. Yeah, this strain of vampirism in that DLC was the... Uh, it was the Molag Balls strain of vampirism. Yeah, so yeah. no no disease... No like physical, biological disease. But a magical Daedric curse. Yes. So that was a little bit different. And the way to become a vampire and the way to cure it and all that stuff was a little bit different. And again, they're only focusing on one specific strain here, but the way that they baked it into the DLC and the main story and into the Dark Brotherhood and like with everything else, I think, was the most baked in that they'd done it. Like you had your own skill tree. And, you know, in the DLC, you could literally become something called the Vampire Lord. Yeah. Or even hunt vampires if you wanted. Yeah. And you could also be a werewolf if you wanted, like a full-on transforming werewolf. The first time they've come back to that since Elder Scrolls Three. Yeah, and you can eat people's hearts. Pretty cool. Yeah. I don't think for this one we're going to give it a rating because it's a whole bunch of games over many years. It's an anthology, a literal anthology. Yes, but I will say that the representation that Elder Scrolls has given vampires is great. And I think that, like, for most people, outside of, like, goofy decorations for Halloween and old movies and stuff like that, as far as video games go, this is probably where most people have had the opportunity to play as a vampire. Because everyone and their grandmother has either played Oblivion or Skyrim. Yeah, of all ages. Of of all ages. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of our video game coverage for this spooktacular vampire event. We're going to move now into story time and delight you with some vampiric tales with a V. How blood chilling. Welcome to another thrilling installment of Storytime as the Dorkweb presents Vampire Shit We Read in Comics. <laughs> so, I, I love so, the name of that segment, by the way. It's, it's a good a, one, right? It's great. So, Evan, you're going to lead us off here with none other than the Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, so I was, um, my duty was Marvel's, Marv Wolfman's, uh, Steve Gitko, Stan Lee's, The Tomb of Dracula. Ooh. And you, what may I ask is the Tomb of Dracula. What is the Tomb of Dracula? I'm glad you asked. It is basically a anthology, but also kind of like a loosely connected story of this shit Dracula gets up to in like a cheesy 70s comic. 
That sounds pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Very groovy, dude. But anyways, it's a great and groovy time uh, because we run into, you know, not only do we get to see the crazy hijinks Dracula gets up to, mostly being like very melodramatic, uh, speaking in third person. I want the blood, but they won't give me the blood. Yeah, uh, thinking he's like the master of both humans and the undead. You know, just being a real jackass most of the time. Like a stooge. Yeah, a stooge, and just being very full of himself. Um, but we also run to people like Blade and his wooden knives. Wooden knives. Yeah, apparently that's what he used. Not only did he have a bandolier of stakes, but wooden knives. Effective. For killing vampires. Sure. And people. So, so Evan, walk us through, in your own words, maybe like two or three of your favorite tales. So... Definitely one of my favorite tales in this is, I think, I believe it's called Fear is the, or the Tomb of Dracula. Uh, Fear is the name of the game, and it's kind of an interlude between, it's kind of like a filler episode, but it's great. So they, do they do like flashbacks? or? Yes. So it is uh, multiple flashbacks. So basically it is, it's kind of like an interlude between the stuff he's been getting up to with Blade and, you know, them trying to get revenge on him for killing one of their party members yada 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 typical dracula stuff but uh during this interlude he's just kind of like musing to himself about other close calls and interesting situations he's been up to you know at one point he's like thinking about this as he's like a bat flying across the night sky and a hunter shoots him oh dang yeah and he's like this horrible like a man hunter or a vampire hunter? Uh, no, like an animal hunter who's like he's heard the story that there's been like a like a really large, unusually large bat flying around the area, like terrorizing Laughing. folk. Yeah, and um, you know he shoots down Dracula, but Dracula is laughing as this is happening because he's you know allowed himself to be wounded for his own amusement. What a dick! Yeah, and then he uh, quickly turns the tables on this hunter, and uh, that hunter becomes the hunted. When Dracula displays his command over beasts, first a swarm of rats, but the hunter, <laughs> yes, yeah, so the, sw- the hunter swarm first had to the, the hunter had to outrun a ha- swarm of hungry rats. He better be careful, or uh, you know, he might accidentally give the the hunter vampirism. Oh, that's true. You don't want to make your quarry stronger. You know, he was lucky to get rid of the rats, but um, then the wolves came. Oh no! Yeah, the wolves got him. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Wow. The hunter was not expecting three wolves. No. No. Usually the rule of three, but but no, number two got him. Yeah. Well, that's Dracula's command over beasts, which is very much displayed in this. That, the, the, the first thing was a lot more memorable, but he's also going through, oh, yeah, he fights like a Scottish guy that he throws into a death pit. But this Scotsman is, like, fierce because he, like, Is this the same story? Yes. I'm just trying to think of all the stuff he was, like, musing about. And uh, another one of the close calls he was musing about was this, uh, like, crazy Scottish vampire hunter trying to avenge his son. Oh, no. Yeah, and he fought very fiercely and ferociously and actually, like... He's got, like, bagpipes and stuff. He's fully resplendent in, like, kilt and Scottish hillman, like, attire. Oh, wow. Yeah, but um, he actually kills Dracula for a period of time. He, like, stabs him through his heart with, like, a shillelagh. And, um, but not good enough. Actually, it's not a shillelagh because that's an Irish thing. I don't know. It's some Scottish walking stick. Yeah, he actually manages to stab Dracula right through the heart, and Dracula then picks him up and throws him into his death pit. Um, Wait, Dracula's death pit? Or Dracula the has a death pit. Something uh, actually called the like the pit of death. Throw him. Yeah, he just has a, this pit that he throws people into. But 
Um, he then like, you know, is like cursing this guy and like, blah, 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 you know, talking like, oh, I'm Dracula. Like I must, you know, get to the coffin filled with the earth of my homeland to, you know, rise once more. To be good. Yeah, because Dracula can die many times, but if his corpse is put into the casket filled with the dirt of his homeland, he will return and rise again. Sure. Once the stake is removed, of course. And I think the last one, the last story in that comic was um, he meets the... So this old guy, right, uh, summons Dracula, and he's like, oh, Dracula, like, you already have immortality, but, like, would you believe... You wouldn't believe how old I am, this, that, and the other. Like, I'm actually this, you know, Roman uh, soldier who got lost in England and, like, found this, like, spring of blood from hell, and that's kept me immortal for all these years. And Dracula's like, oh, I won't kill you. This amuses me. I'll bring you there. And the old man's like, oh, I've lived so long. And I've learned that, you know, like immortality is not a boon, but a curse. I'm taking you with me. And like, you know, blowing up this fucking blood fountain. And Dracula's just like, oh, no. No, don't blow up the blood fountain. And, that, that, I like that. Yeah. And thinks, oh, if I wasn't Dracula, I'd be dead by this explosion of boiling uh, magical blood. Magic blood. Yeah, that was cool. So that was all in one one comic where he's just kind of writing in his vampire diary underground, um, just like musing about stuff. Oh, that's all one. That's all one. Oh. That's an interlude between you know him messing with uh, you know Blade and his vampire hunters getting killed, getting resurrected, uh, riding on a train, going back to his homeland, and uh, then meeting Wolf, the Wolfman, uh, Werewolf by Night. Oh. Yeah. I think it was the second one I read. Yeah, it's uh, Drac- It's called Dracula's Dead, and it picks up after, I think it was issue 13 picked, uh, left off, where Blade and his crew uh, killed Dracula. With wooden knives. With a wooden knife, yeah. And uh, what happens is before Dracula kind of like rapidly decays or does, you know, whatever his body reverts back to, Gross um, skeleton. Gross emaciated skeleton vampire. Um, his mental control in the townsfolk hadn't wavered, so they stole his body back. You know, like they beat up Blade and and uh, you know his crew of like Van Helsing descendants. He's like, no, wait, what are you doing? Yeah, it detailed how this like wave of human, just raw human, just kind of overcame them. And even though you know they're all like talented vampire hunters, they can do little against like a mob of people that just kind of like trample them. Talented, and mind you, Blade is in disco gear. Kind of. He's not as, uh, <clears throat> not as, not as disco. Not as, not as extra as he was in his first appearance. He's got like a, a bit of a like a brown trench coat on. He's got like these makes more sense. green goggles, but yeah, he's a little more tame in this one. But let's see. Yeah, they like knock out the party and they like drag Dracula back, but they don't drag him back to the castle because they're. You know, his mind glamour wears off and they become aware of everything and they freak out and run away, leaving his horrible vampire coffin kind of like out in the open. But then a mad preacher looking for a sign gets a sign not from God, but by the mental suggestion of uh, Dracula's malevolence and is... Just like one of my enemies. Yeah, and then like, you know, summons his flock and is like, yo, with the power of God, this man will rise from the dead like all that stuff even though it's in england so he doesn't talk like that sure blade and his crew finds out and they're like oh no you fool you do that he's like dracula it's like silent sinner you know this that and the other 
you know, I'm from the south. I'm from now. the south now. I'm a firebrand preacher, and God Ooh. will make this man rise. Hoo! Feel the power of God, and he uh, removes, you know, the stake from Dracula. He removes his pants. Yeah, he removes his pants and the stake from Dracula, and then Dracula is like, "Fool! I'm, you know, I'm a demon from hell. I'm Dracula. You know, your petty god doesn't do this." And everyone starts kind of like menacing him with their crucifixes, and it kind of works. He's very deterred from the people, and he can't He's really... Like, no, I didn't count on the powers that brought me back to hurt me. Yeah, but um, then the preacher is like, ah, oh, like, you know, back demon, like, don't touch me. You know, God will smite thee. And he's like, ah, oh, like, you think God will help you? I used to be kind of like how it was in Castlevania, where I was like, oh, yeah, I was like a, cru- I was like a Turkish crusader, this, that, and the other, but I was, like, betrayed by, like, my king. And um, it is not, you know, God that will smite you, it will be me. And then Dracula summons lightning to, like, strike the dude's cross and just, like, kill him. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of like Castlevania. Straight up. In the way that, like, you know, Dracula used his devil powers to overcome Christianity. Just like that? Just like that. Easy peasy. And then he turned into a bat and flew away. Wow. He does a lot of that in these comics. He he's, uh, very much takes advantage of the fact he can both turn into like a giant leathery man bat and um, fly away and fly away and also mist he loves to turn into mist just cackling mist yeah a choking mist sometimes it was you know pretty goony 70s era just kind of comic book penny dreadful adventures that were kind of loosely connected with an overarching narrative but i enjoyed its aesthetic and you know vampire chutzpah so i read Two out of the three Batman and Dracula Elseworld stories. Ooh, Elseworld. Every, everything that's not in the main canon of DC. Yes. Uh, these came out, the first and the second, respectively, in 91 and 94. And the first one that I'm going to start with was written by Doug Monch. Monch. It was penciled by Kelly Jones. It was inked by Malcolm Jones III was colored by Les Dorshid, and it was lettered by Todd Klein. Wait, so was it inked by this guy's son? I don't know. It's like, oh, it's like Maybe. Junior the Third. It's like, yeah, my son inked it for me. It's like, okay. My double son. My double son. <laughs> so this opens, like all good Batman stories do, with a string of hooker deaths and all homeless right. people. All right, sounds like Batman. Yep. So it opens with a uh, very suave european looking man uh talking to a woman of the evening and turns out like oh no it's dracula and (laughs) within the first page uh she's you know eaten like throat ripped out pretty pretty violent but it's 91 so violence is back in comics and spades and immediately after bruce wayne is having a wet dream oh yes yeah just like a, a misty vampire who's just, like, coming in, like, ooh, suggestion, Bruce, suggestion. I'm going to mist rub on you. Nice. And all that. Very nice, yes. But he wakes up, and, you know, he learns wind of all of the throat slashings, and, you know, it's vagrants, prostitutes, uh, the homeless, all that sort of stuff. So as Batman, he has begun the investigation, and he soon finds out that, there is potentially more than one culprit to these murders and that vampires are involved. And very quickly, uh, he has to go up against 
one specific vampire who I'm pretty sure was the lady who's turned at the very beginning of the comic, and he just gets owned. Like, he just gets destroyed. Oh, no. And he's, like, saying things like, oh, God, strength like I've never seen before. And how could I possibly face this foe? But he gets away. He goes to see his friend, who is apparently just the the subject matter expert on the supernatural, and starts like asking her a bunch of very specific leading questions where he doesn't want to say, I think there's a vampire threat to Gotham, but, you know, things like, oh, what are the weaknesses of these things, and how many would it take? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, all the while, in Gotham, it has begun to rain red. Ooh. Yes. And soon this rain is discovered to be corrosive. You know, overexposure to the skin will cause burns and it'll burn the eyes. But it isn't long before Batman finds a layer of vampires after doing quite a bit of respectable, from what I've seen, detective work. Pretty nice. Like, the whole beginning is pretty much a like a straight detective Batman kind of. Yeah, almost kind of seems like Batman from hell with vampires. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's got some of the same strokes, but pretty good detective work. Uh, but he gets down there. And he meets Tanya. And From Mortal Kombat? Yes, Tanya, the Mortal Kombat character. She's a lean, mean vampire fighting machine, and she's also a vampire. Ooh. Yes. She's not any vampire, though. She was turned by Dracula so that they could, you know, rule the night together and be Dark Prince and Dark Princess. Bride of Dracula. Bride of Dracula, wow. basically. Um, however... After she watched him, like, claw down a child, she snapped out of his trance and was like, ah, I can't do this anymore. So she tells Bat, like, this happens a little bit later, but she ends up telling him about how she would eat rats and, like, puke all the time and uh, eventually developed this, like, fake blood that she would drink and that ended up making her able to function in society enough so that she could kind of like not just live in the woods in a shack. Um, but before this happens, Batman has his first showdown with Dracula. Oh, Dracula himself. Yes. Was it like the encounter in Blade 3? Uh, no, it's not like the encounter in Blade 3. Disappointed. It, it basically involves uh, him leading Dracula into a part of the sewers where... It's a dead end, and Batman has his back against the wall, and he, like, takes his fingers into the wound that he has and pulls out blood and draws, like, a cross on the wall, and, like, his blood is dripping and, like, getting closer and closer to Dracula, and Dracula's just, like, a mad dog, just, like, desperately hungry for the blood. Oh, God. But Batman has positioned himself above a grate to the sewer, and sunlight is starting to poke through. So they say, like, oh, it goes on for hours, but they're basically just in, like, a stare down with, like, Batman losing a ton of blood and, you know, basically just taunting Dracula with his blood and Dracula getting as close as he can to Batman without touching the light, which isn't close enough. So as daylight starts to wane on... Dracula gives up and, you know, throws some insults at Batman and then dips and runs out of the sewers and goes back into hiding. That sounds intense. 
It's kind of what like Qui-Gon was doing to Darth Maul before, you know, killed him. So Batman makes it back to Wayne Manor and he's weak and he's feeling a little bit different and he starts to have Alfred patch him up and tries to tell him a little bit about what's going on. But Alfred's written kind of weird and he's like, oh, I, I think Bruce is going crazy. Vampires? Like, I don't believe him. That's so weird. And uh, he's kind of like chubby, too. It's weird. It's kind of a weird Alfred. But uh, Bruce meets Tanya there. And I think here she reveals, like, oh, Bruce, all those wet dreams that you've been having throughout the book. Like, it's been me visiting you through the night and, like, slowly but surely giving you vampire blood and, like, biting you. And, like, I knew that, I guess, A, I deduced that you were Batman. And that's not really explained how I deduced that you were Batman. But B... Uh, you're the only one who can stop Dracula and like you need to be on his level and even with vampire blood you still won't be on his level but I hope that it's enough stakes are high so the next thing that Batman slash Bruce does is he arranges a meeting between Gordon and Tanya and her good vampire hunters and uh, the first thing pretty much that happens is he's like all right so vampires you know they're a thing and these guys are vampires, and that's why we're meeting in this building. And Gordon's like, oh, you guys are crazy. You're so silly. What's up, Batman? You're my best friend. So Tanya rushes him, and he's like, oh, shit, and just, like, pumps three bullets into her. And she's like, see, I told you I'm a vampire. This doesn't even hurt. And that's how they get Gordon to believe in vampires. Jesus. So Gordon leaves, now believing in vampires, and knowing that he has to trust Batman and Tanya and her hunters to help fight Dracula. However, as he's leaving and the others turn to talk, you see a giant bat-slash-man shape on the horizon. And it is implied, and you soon find out a little bit later, that um, Dracula has gotten Gordon. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. So the scene cuts, uh, and it's Bruce and Tanya in bed, and it happens very quickly. They're they're a couple, like immediately. Nice. And they're talking about blood and strength and you know all that sort of stuff. Talks of what's encouragement. That smell? Yeah, what's it's that? blood. It's blood. Uh, but then she's like, "Oh no, your friend's in danger." So he runs downstairs and he's like, "Alfred," and there's vampires down there. And you know, like cool, co I guess cool comics at the time. Some of them are green and some of them are purple and some of them. Or, like, red and, like, all weird, different, I guess, bad flesh-colored. Weird. Uh, but you get a couple of really good images of Bruce Wayne in his underwear, staking vampires to death <laughs> with his own broken furniture. <laughs> Jesus. And just, like, the faces of madness. Hang on. Let's, let's show Evan. Man, it's almost like they made John Carpenter's vampires into a comic. So now Bruce knows that Dracula has Gordon. And he, you know, makes a little speech to Alfred, and Alfred kind of wavers here. And you get the first kind of indication that Alfred's not okay with what's going on. He's very disturbed. He's like the only person who's reacting normally. <laughs> He's very disturbed by the events. At the same time, it cuts to Dracula and his, like, small army of vampires. Dracula is, like, dancing and parading naked around Gordon, talking about how supreme he is and gordon's like oh jesus christ i had no idea that vampires existed till today and oh God, now dracula's like, dancing naked in front of me it's like the killing joke yeah except with dracula 
So it turns out the reason the vampires were able to attack Wayne Manor was because the vast network of tunnels that stem from the sewers eventually lead into the Batcave. Um, and this is a weird plot point that's dropped pretty suddenly. When I was reading it, I was like, wait, what? Because the next thing that happens is, you know, Batman's on his way to Gordon and he's coordinating an attack with Tanya and her vampire slayers on the underground caverns and cave systems uh, that Dracula and his like army is made home to. Um, you know, they start fighting and, you know, Dracula's fighting vamp or Batman is fighting vampires and Tanya is fighting vampires and the first stage of the plan is he starts um, detonating charges and detonates some in the sewers and detonates some underneath Wayne Manor and at the same time Tanya has killed most of the vampires and she has Dracula cornered and she grabs him and throws herself and him into the light and at the same time you know Bruce is doing the final detonation which is all of the foundation of Wayne Tower and he's told Alfred ahead of time to leave. We, we get through like some, some dialogue a little bit earlier on. But yeah, he just basically explodes. I said Wayne Tower, but he explodes all of Wayne Manor and also a lot of like the sewer system to collapse all of these caves where the vampires were like breeding and turning people. Jesus. So there's a quick scene of him just kind of standing over the rubble as Bruce. And then there's a gush of bats, and also a giant bat, like a giant bat man. And he's like, ah, this is, this is all according to plan. Tanya gave her life, but she knew that it wouldn't be enough, even after like grabbing Dracula and throwing him and herself into sunlight. direct sunlight. So by this point, Bruce is more or less completely a vampire. So Bruce goes back to the little place that he has in the city where he told Alfred to wait for him, and at this point, he's basically completely turned into a vampire. And he's talking to Alfred about how he's going to rescue Gordon, how Tanya and her sacrifice is not in vain. And it's at this point that he rips off his shirt and reveals that he has giant leathery bat wings on oh, his back. My God. Yes. And Alfred is completely mortified. And he says something along the lines of, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to end it now. You know, I can fight on his level. So he dons the bat suit. He jumps out and starts flying away. And verbatim, I have the comic in front of me here. Um, Alfred says, go with God, sir, but you will not forgive me. Go alone. The cave and the real car may be lost, but there's still the Mercedes minus the door handle anyways. He broke it earlier with his vampire strength. So Alfred literally dips. And he gets in the car and he starts driving away because... He sees a monster. Yeah. So we cut to Dracula having Gordon suspended upside down. And he's like making cuts into his neck and talking about how he's missing the jugular so that he can like milk him for blood and drink the blood as he muses about when Batman will arrive. And what proceeds is uh, a fight that starts on the ground and then quickly takes to the air and spans over Gotham for quite some time, you know, with Batman in the wings, and they're fighting in the air, and Dracula has his bat form. But eventually, during a lightning strike, 
Batman gets him and plummets down with him and impales him on a giant, like, dead tree. Ooh. Yeah. So Batman is bleeding. He's hurt very bad. It's almost dawn, but he has defeated Dracula, and he's way out in the sticks, way, way out in the sticks past Gotham. So he falls down, and you think this might be the end for Batman, except... Alfred, who's fleeing the town, happens to drive past him at this point and runs out and is like, oh, Bruce, oh, Bruce, I can save you, don't worry. So he runs out to him. The next scene is the discussion of the will and testament and final things of Bruce Wayne, who is, who is dead. And uh, it is none other than Cobblepot, who is... Cobblepot? divvying up the will like acting as like the lawyer what yes and he's talking to alfred talking about you know what parts of the wayne estate alfred's getting and what's part is being donated to a charity um but alfred kind of shoes him out and goes down and there's batman the vampire and he's alive and he you know thanks alfred for helping cover up his death yeah and he i think he says something about you know there's a few different kinds of vampires some are natural predators like animals. Some are naturally evil like Dracula. And then some are good and fight evil like him mm. and like Tanya. And that's how it ends. But it goes into Bloodstorm. So Batman Bloodstorm can be summarized pretty quickly by saying, you know, let's take the events of everything that just happened and now let's start introducing the bat villains so it picks up with batman being vampire batman count batman you know in the night he's got the wings still he's flying around fighting crime drinking blood um drinking serum uh, drinking serum blade and he is uh hunting down the remaining couple of vampires who weren't at the nest when everything got exploded. Um, at the same time, the Joker is on the hunt for the very same vampires because he thinks that they need somebody with a pulse to organize them mm. and somebody who doesn't have just the interest of drinking blood on their mind to to guide the the vampire group. So... It follows a lot of the same paces as the first book, only Batman is working by night, finding vampires, staking them, cutting off their heads, killing them, Mm. um, more than he's actually going after criminal activity. But the whole time he's kind of putting things together. And what the Joker's plan is, is get these vampires to get as many people as possible, turn them into vampires, remake dracula's army but very specifically target the richer mob bosses in the city so that they have these giant essentially like mob fortresses and mansions and places to defend themselves and also create a bastion of vampire goons so uh the joker you know starts going to mob bosses he starts going to strip clubs he starts going to bars and that's where he's turning everybody um, while this is happening and before Batman realizes that the Joker 
is the person motivating these vampires. You know, as he's killing many, many, many different vampires, he basically gives instructions to Alfred and Gordon that, like, hey, I know that I'm being labeled as a serial killer right now because there's all these corpses being found with stakes through their hearts and heads cut off, but, like, these serial killings are going to continue until the vampires aren't there, and, like, I can't go out in the day anymore, so think about it, but, like, I could really use your help because you could take out a whole nest in the middle of the day while they're asleep. Um, Things kind of continue investigation-wise, and Batman eventually uncovers that the Joker is doing what he's doing. So he puts a plan in place where he is going to cause a whole bunch of ruckus at night. Um, And the day before, he sends Gordon and uh, Alfred out. And basically, like, one of them has a hammer, one of them has a stake. And it's a really funny picture. Um, But he basically sends them out, you know, after he's already taken out a whole bunch of goons in, like, a strip club and in a mansion and, and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of like the last bastion of them. Uh, and he sends those two out during the day, and they stake a whole bunch, and it's, like, pretty grisly. And, like, Gordon... Alfred says he's going to puke and starts talking about it in detail, and Gordon basically just, like, tells him to shut up and walks away. And you know, both of them are very uncomfortable with it. But it all leads to Batman going through... Um, and leading this final assault on the Joker's place. Just slightly before that, the last main vampire, uh, who's kind of the general to the Joker, he his specialty is turning into animals. Mm-hmm. So one night when he's out, he's out on the hunt, and he turns into a wolf, and he h- ends up hunting a girl named Selina. Oh. Yes. Do you know where this is going? The Catwoman? literal cat woman oh she she's gonna turn into a yeah so she gets bitten but not turned yeah so i guess the rules are if the vampire is in its wolf form and it bites you but doesn't finish the whole shtick yeah you become a were creature interesting and she naturally becomes a were cat and she naturally becomes a were cat so I forgot to mention this, but, like, the night leading up to um, the raid with Alfred and Gordon, um, they get to know each other, and there's this whole thing where um, Batman is slowly not getting the fulfillment from the serum that he needs to sate his bloodlust. So as time keeps going on, it's doing less and less, and he keeps fighting his bloodlust more and more. However the embrace of a woman and like the relationship factor that he doesn't have. And I guess like the foil to his loneliness is the thing that can kind of sate the thirst and make it so that the serum is just enough. Oh, so this Batman's an incel. Pretty much. Um, But she like very quickly Catwoman fills the same shoes as Tanya did in the first book. And there's, like, a few scenes of them just, like, laying in bed together. Where action. Talking about getting stronger, you know, and, and talking about the, the fight that's to come and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So when this final fight happens, she's with him. And she goes after the general guy who turned her. And Batman goes after the Joker. 
and you know most of the regular vampire goons are gone but in the end um she ends up getting killed by the uh. joker and batman basically freaks out incapacitates the joker and is like like basically like walks him into a corner the joker thinks he has him in a trap and there's all these crosses everywhere and he's like ah like you're screwed batman like this is my plan all along like here you are a vampire and like look at all these crosses there's no way you're going to survive this and batman says i haven't drank human blood and he takes another step closer he's like but you're like them you're an undead beast you're horrible he's like ah but i haven't killed i've only killed people who were already vampires like i've done nothing wrong i'm nothing like them i have all their powers none of their weaknesses except for daylight mm. that's the thing um and the joker i forget what he specifically says but he says something that makes batman snap and batman slaps him and breaks his neck <laughs> and then with joker's like last breaths he's just like wheezing and laughing at him as Batman succumbs to the thirst and just bleeds Joker out and just starts drinking from him. But then as soon as he does it, the Joker's like, ah, I got you. And all the crosses like light up and just basically start to like melt Batman. Oh, and he's like, oh, why didn't I see this coming? Uh, I should have realized. Um, so Batman gets defeated by the Joker mm. and the same night that he kills the Joker. Uh, However, that's not the end. So after getting owned by those crosses, he flees out of there, bursts through the stained glass, and makes his way back home, where we see a handwritten note uh, detailed to Alfred and Gordon with instructions on how to spear and end the Batman. End the Batman? Yes, they kill him. How? They use a hammer and a stake and they kill him as he requested because he realized uh that he was just a monster by the end yeah it can control the beast inside like yeah. vampire the masquerade yeah the beast is always there it's true and there's a third book to this but honestly the way that this ends is it's pretty good and i almost feel like it's perfect that way yeah sometimes you gotta know when to stop it's true so like Batman when he <laughs> had the chance to not drink blood. Like Batman when he had the chance to not drink blood. So that's going to wrap up story time. I think that's also going to wrap up this spooktacular episode of the Dork Web. Ooh. Yes, I hope you all had a good time. And as always, please like, comment, share this wonderful podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always reach us at thedorkwebpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website, thedorkweb.net. You can check out our Facebook, Dorkweb, or our Instagram, Podcast, or our Twitter, thedorkweb. As always, folks, have a really 